Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. This week we're talking to Shane Miller all about plotting. shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support as a patron you'll get early access to episodes the chance to submit questions for our guests and access to our bonus series healthy habits healthy habits isn't your typical productivity advice we're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three-hour run hell no we're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier healthier and more productive in your writing life and beyond to start developing healthier habits today Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. Do you want to write 50,000 words in 30 days? The 50K Writing Camp has got you covered this November. Join dozens of authors making their dreams a reality. Weekly live writing scripts with international best-selling author Daniel Wilcox. A group word tracker to help keep you on goal. An online community of your fellow writers. All your writerly and author-life questions answered. And new for 2023, a one-month free subscription of Activated Authors. Head on over to www.activatedauthors.com forward slash 50k to secure one of the limited spots today. With us today is our lovely friend and patron, Shane Miller. Welcome back to The Writer's Mindset. Thank you for having me back on. So today we are talking about a topic that actually is now one of my favorites. And I'm not going to lie, like 18 months ago, it was panic attack inducing. So I think this could be a fun chat. (laughs) So we are talking about plotting. Before we dive into that, could you just give our our readers, I'm really not with it today. I just want to preface with that. It's a stressful week. I'm going to talk a lot of crap. It is all good. (laughs) So... (laughs) You've obviously done an insane amount since you and Ellie caught up in, what was it, May, June? Uh, yes, May, I think. May or yeah. June, one or the other. So can you just let our listeners know a little bit about you and what you've been up to since we last got up? Sure can. So like Christina said, I'm Shane. And in terms of my writerly journey, I wrote my first urban fantasy novel way back in 2010. Then I did what most writers do, stuck it in a drawer for the best part of a decade because I fell into a quote unquote sensible corporate job which turned out not to be so sensible. Um, I found that manuscript in late 2018 and it was bad. I mean the worst thing you've ever read. It will never see the light of day without a ton of rewrites. Anyway uh, I spent the next couple of years learning everything I could about the writing craft and the business of being an author. I published my first four um, urban fantasy novels this year and I've now also published four books for writers this year as well so yeah you're right I have been very very busy and I think the fifth one will be out the writing guide by the time this airs but I don't know so that's pretty much what I've been up to since I last spoke to Edley lots of publishing lots of launch and I'm very tired (laughs) lots of stuff like (laughs) wow round of applause for you that is insane thank you oh I'm launching a podcast too with my wonderful co-host Cassie Newell so that might also be out by the time this airs I don't know this will be (laughs) October time that it goes live yeah, then it will be out. Do you want to give it a quick plug? 
Yeah, sure. So it is the Storytellers Face-Off podcast. Like I said, I am presenting with my co-host Cassie Newell. We're both book coaches. Um, I'm an editor and she is a book coach in terms of idea generation. And each week we answer a question put to us by our listeners all about the writing craft. And this season is focused on, funnily enough, the writer's mindset. Imagine that. (laughs) Mm, You're going to get some juicy ones, Albert. Yeah, we've had some, uh, we've done some pre-recording. We've had some pretty good ones. Nice. I can't wait to give it a listen. What date does it start? It drops on October 1st. Very nice. Yes, it will be live then by the time this episode goes out. So definitely check it out once you've listened to this. Thank you very much. So one of your nonfiction books is on plotting. Yes. I'm curious to know what you feel the benefits of plotting are for us, regardless of kind of what genre we're writing or where we are in our journey. Yeah, I think the major benefit of plotting for me, and this is something I learned having written that terrible novel with no outline back in 2010, is that it gives you a process that you can follow to produce the best story you can every time you start a new project. Note, I don't say the most perfect story. There is no such thing. Just the best story that you're capable of producing. So when I talk about plotting or anything I outline before I start my first draft, I'm basically focused on three things. That is character, Um, The plot in terms of story beats, so we all know these, the inciting incident, the midpoint, um, the darkest moment, all of those things. And just some brief notes on setting so that you know that the settings you choose or the locations you choose will have some good emotional impact for the reader and your characters. And I think, like I said, the major benefit here is that it gives you a roadmap that you can follow before you start. So I always equate it to revising for an exam. For example, I don't know about you, but I would not go into an exam without preparing before I start or before the exam itself, because you wouldn't have a clue how to answer any of the questions. And that wouldn't be a good thing. It'd be very stress inducing. Um, Writing a book is basically the same. The thought of, for me anyway, sitting down to discovery write with, with no outline is terrifying because of how awful that first book was. And I never wanted to make that mistake again. Um, So even with a really basic outline where you've just filled in a few details about character, about the story arc and about the setting, I find it helps you get through your first draft a lot quicker because you're not sat there wondering what you need to do next. And the best thing is that when you've written your first draft, you'll have the very sort of skeleton foundation of a great story arc that you can take into your edit. And that in itself makes editing a lot less stressful. So they're the major benefits for me. It's just having that plan so that you know what's happening next. Yeah, the first time I like properly outlined something in depth, not the crazy depth that some people do, but like more depth than I ever did. The process felt easier. And I had like the setting detail and the characters and the kind of arc and stuff. And I it was the first book I'd actually ever written in chronological order. And then I only did one pass through before I sent it to beta readers. And I'm like, this is like too easy. It's like they're going to hate it. No, they don't hate it. Yeah, exactly. And then you kind of think, oh, maybe I missed something huge because I can't only do one or two passes. Yeah, I've I've missed something. But yeah, I I just think it's helpful to lay those foundations so that at least when you have edited, the foundation of that story is strong. And I think that's the major thing I take away from plotting is that readers read for story at the end of the day. And if you can produce a decent story, they'll forgive anything else. They'll forgive, you know, a few typos or a badly constructed sentence what they won't forgive is a story that lacks direction or character arc for example why do you think some authors don't plot despite all those benefits (laughs) 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I, I'm like you, I did resist plotting for a long time because I had that whole mindset of, you know, you cannot boil the sacred art of fiction writing down to a process. How dare you? This is my creative outlet. This is the thing I do to unwind. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. So most writers, I think, believe that plotting will kind of suck the creativity out of the whole writing process. And I could make an argument that if you are a really deep outliner and you've got, you know, those hundred page massive outlines, that probably is the case. You've, you've told yourself the entire story already. You probably don't want to tell yourself that story again. So I can see how that could suck the fun out of drafting if you go on a into a really deep, deep outline because you'd know everything before you start. But what I'm talking about and the type of plotting that I reference in my book is just getting those kind of tent poles, the major scenes planned out so that you know where the major emotional turning points are. You know where you're going to have to have your character react to something big that's happened to them. And then you've got all that space in between those major key plot beats to kind of play and discovery write and do all the things that still make plotting creative. So plotting doesn't have to be, this scene's going to be about this, and then the next one's about this, the next one's about this. It can just be, get the foundations of the story in place and have fun with the rest. I think that's why people resist it, because it, it can suck the fun out if you go too deep, I think. I've definitely heard that argument before, and I've spoken to a lot of people, and I'm sure you've come across this as well. A lot of people mm. are like, I'm going to write a book one day, and it's going to be like Lord of the Rings, yeah. Game of Thrones kind of thing, and it's like so big and vast. And then they do so much world building, they've actually not got any time or energy or brain <laughs> space or fox left to write yeah. the actual story. Yeah, yeah, I have I've to definitely say, been there. Definitely for been me, there personally like it wasn't because I saw it as less creative it was because my brain is averse to being organized it's an internal battle I have that it's probably an ADHD thing one day I'll get an official diagnosis <laughs> when I'm gray um and it, it was like this wall came up when I started mm. to think about plotting that I could not get past and it was last mm. summer when we started interviewing people and when I had like a really stressful time working on Hollywood Heartbreak that I realized the benefits of it and how I could come up with a system that was much more in depth and much more streamlined and would actually make the writing process calmer and less stressful for me. And I think as stressful as last summer was for me having to go back through and read books I hadn't plotted to re-familiarize myself with certain things. It was actually beneficial because it really opened my eyes. And then I managed to write The Mean Girl's Murder so quickly. But then I kind of regressed slightly and tried to imitate the same process. But I was missing the setting element that you mentioned. Yeah, and yeah. also some of how certain things happen and I find that knowing the how allows me to focus much more on making the dialogue funny or sexy or whatever it needs to be um when I'm not thinking about that because book six in the series will be set on a cruise ship okay. and I've never been on a cruise ship so trying to visualize that alongside everything else I think if I'd put those little notes into the outline it would have made things a lot easier when doing that first draft but even so I've still got that framework and I know what I'm writing towards and it makes the process so much easier mm. and you make a really interesting point about how people's brains are wired because we we're told that this is the way to do something so how many times have you heard you must plot like this or you must edit like this now I don't believe in that either, particularly, because 
we're all different. The best thing to do when you come across a plotting process, whether it be save the cat, whether it be mine, is to take the parts of the process that you think will actually work for you. Because like you said, if you have a brain that naturally resists organization, you are not going to be the type of person that writes, you know, 100 plus, plus page outlines. You're probably going to be the type of person that has a general idea of where the story is going to go and still leave yourself room to be disorganized in the middle. So yeah, you, you make a really valid point about process and the way we can be wedded to a process even when it's not really working. And I think the thing I've certainly noticed is that it doesn't matter how many books I've written or how many series I've done, every single one is different. Yeah. I started writing a new series recently and I feel like I'm learning to write all over again because it's different. It's like, it's not as hard as when I went to write fantasy. It's not that aspect that's hard. Yeah. Getting to know the characters again and finding ways to show their personality and remembering the fact that I often forget to include subplots in my outline. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> which I, I've sort of included them, but this is where the how comes in. Like, I've got this note about showing someone being, like, really mardy about the fact that his mom's got a new boyfriend, but I haven't shown how he shows that he's in a bad mood and disapproves of this guy and so that takes extra brain power to figure out and if I'd done that during outlining I could have like rolled out of bed and written a thousand words without my brain fully switching on you know because I'm tapped more into that subconscious yeah exactly what would be your advice to a writer who is averse or afraid to plot okay so the best piece of advice I can give on this is that we've kind of touched on it already but plotting means different things to different writers and most people have a fixed idea of what plotting is. I think people see plotting as that really in-depth, you know, I have to sit down, I have to know exactly what's happening in every scene, I have to know every beat, I have to know every move my character's going to make before they make it. And that can be really daunting. And I think that's the attitude I first had when I tried to plot as well. I thought, well, if I don't plot everything you know i'm i'm never going to know how to finish this story and that is a huge huge roadblock and it's a form of resistance to to the process so again if we look at plotting on a really basic level all you need is some key facts about your protagonist and some of your major side characters potentially um just those key important beats that we all know from three act story structure i am not sharing anything new here three act story structure has been around since the dawn of time practically and we know story we you know we watch so many movies we read so many books we have internalized most of it already so the good thing to know as well is that instinctively you will know how to plot it might just be that you need to internalize the full process um, and then just those key things about setting I always when it comes to setting I'll say to myself so what five things can my character see here what can they hear what can they smell all of those five um, basic senses that you include in a scene and then at least when you sit down to write you know how you're going to bring that that scene to life and that's really all you need to get started so if you are one of those writers who's really resistant to plotting know that it doesn't have to be this massively scary in-depth horrendous thing it can just be the basics and once you've got those basics internalized you you'll know how to do them and you can take that knowledge with you to every single project you start so that's what i would say try not to make it a really big daunting process i'm so going through and adding in all the sensors to my outlines that are waiting to be written because that would make it so much easier for the description side of things yeah and it doesn't yeah it doesn't have to be huge things you know just i do like five 
five sights, five sounds, five smells, and then do the five senses. And then at the end, I'll probably do five emotions that my protagonist could potentially feel in this in this place, just so that you know the setting links to character as well, because you know your character is what it's all about, really. Exactly. What pitfalls have you noticed writers fall into when they don't plot? Mm. I fall into many of these myself. Um, <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been yes, there. Yes, we have all been there. So I've already told you about this horrendous first novel that I wrote that I didn't outline. Um, I just sat down and I wrote. And I think what most people find, myself included, is that when you read it back, it's just a pile of words um, or at least a pile of unconnected scenes that don't really form a cohesive story. And I'm not saying there won't be salvageable bits. Of course, there will. Um you know, nobody's that terrible a writer that nothing can be salvaged. But characters will, you know, my characters particularly felt so flat. They all sounded the same and they all sounded like me, <laughs> which is not great for character creation. As I've said, no storyline. It's just a collection of vignettes or scenes that don't really make sense when you put them together. And most importantly, the locations and the setting, it's like I plucked them from anywhere. They didn't have any emotional impact. They weren't related to um the story in any way really and they weren't that well described because I think you know people think of world building and they instantly think fantasy but even if you're a contemporary romance author you're gonna have to to world build you know yes everyone knows what a coffee shop looks like but do they know what your coffee shop looks like they're they're the things that bring your story to life in a way that aren't generic and that can really immerse readers in the story. So they're the pitfalls. It comes down to flat characters, um, flat story and flat settings. I was reminded yesterday when I had a call with um, GM White, who we've had on to talk about cover design, about one of my sort of famous stories among listeners of this podcast which is um poppy winslow and how she finds out who the murderer was and i hadn't written on my post-it note who the murderer was and i think the problem with that was i wasn't familiar enough with the structure of a crime story because every genre has slightly different things yeah. like fantasy has one thing romance has another and yes you can layer them but you need that individual understanding as well i had no understanding of writing a crime novel <laughs> And um, like for some people, they can find out who the murderer is at the end and that's fine. And they've laid all these breadcrumbs. I laid no breadcrumbs at all. Yeah. I had no idea who the murderer was. It changed three times because I didn't know. And in the end, it ended up being the main character who was an unreliable witness the whole time, which sounds like a really good twist. But it would like it. It was one of the worst things I've ever written. Genuinely, like the story, the characters were fine. The yeah. actual plot was just drunk. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good point too. You know, it's not just learning the basics of plotting. There are genre-specific things. And um in the book, I do try and draw examples from many, many different genres. So, you know, the inciting incident in a romance, which is going to be a meet cute where the love interest meet for the first time, is not going to be the same as an inciting incident in a thriller, which might be that I don't know, the protagonist's entire family gets murdered. They're very, although we use the same terminology to describe these things, the genres do have their own um, expectations that we we should, should adhere to if you're actually wanting to sell and market your books. And if you don't adhere to them, they will lynch you, especially if you write romance mm. or sell yes, it as they romance. Will. <laughs> they will. Like, that's just a fact. Yeah, very true. When it comes to putting together the actual plot, what would you say is the most important aspect to focus on? 
Yeah, so this might sound bizarre, but the most important thing to focus on when you plot is character. Um, character is the most important thing about story. You know, readers don't really care about the plot itself. So the gunfights, the arguments, the car chases, they only really care about those things because they're happening to a character that they relate to, or at least that they can identify with in some way. So when I, the first thing I do when I sit down to plot is I outline what I call the five foundations of a relatable protagonist. And those foundations are a wound. So this is an event that has um, damaged your main character, either physically, mentally, or emotionally in their past. I then give them a scar, which is the resulting emotional baggage left behind by that wound. In other words, it's their flaw or their flawed belief about themselves. I give them a want, which is the external thing they're pursuing in the story, um, a desire. It could be, I don't know, in a heist movie, they're after a particular painting or whatever, that kind of thing. Then you give your character a need, which is the transformative lesson that they need to learn by the end of the novel to take them from that flawed place that they open in to a semi-healed place at the end of the novel, or at least a better version of themselves than they were at the start. And then the final thing I give them is something unique. That could be a skill, a symbol, a talent, something that only belongs to them. And if you do that, the, the great thing is that you've kind of got your plot already starting to form because you know you need to take your character from this flawed place at the start to a, um, a changed place at the end. And your plot will help you inform that. So say, for example, your character is, their flaw is that they're massively afraid of conflict. And by the end of the novel, you want them to be in a place where they're comfortable engaging in conflict. You would then be throwing plot events at them that force them to engage in conflict the entire way through the novel. I mean, you should be doing that anyway, because conflict is massively important. But in this example specifically, and then as the novel progresses, they will slowly, slowly, slowly um, begin to deal with conflict and then by the end they should be actively engaging in conflict so that's that's one example but if you've got the basics of your character down I think that informs a lot about your plot and the types of events that you need to throw at your character in order to to make them change. Totally agree one thing that I found really helpful and it was an amalgamation of your interview with Ellie and <laughs> when we talked to Sasha Black both times that yeah. helped me with my new series I say series. Can I call it a series if it's a duology? Like, you can call it what you want. Yes, it's, a series. it's not even published yet, so who knows? Like, <laughs> Hollywood gossip was meant to be one book and it turned into six, so it could be anything at this point. But like, I found writing down the theme and which aspect mm. of the theme each character represents really helps me. And yep. I, I'd never done anything that in depth before, but it really helped to bring out the characters' personalities and how some of them are desperate to be loved and some of them resist love because they think it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that really brought them to life in my head. And from that, I could like work out their physical descriptions and how they dressed and how they styled their hair because those little things do influence how people look and how people behave. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if you know that a character is resistant to love at the start of the novel, the whole point of the plot is then going to be to get them to a space where they're comfortable to open up to love or something similar. Exactly. So you can already start to think, oh, my inciting instant, obviously that's a romance, so it'd be some kind of meet you. But you, you start to realise what, what types of events you can throw at them to force that change in a way that feels organic. 
Exactly. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here. Yeah, go for but it. Do you have any examples from, you know, it could be books, could be film, TV, games, etc., of any characters where you go, they nailed it? Nailed yeah, I do. It. So, <laughs> yeah, I do. So the one I always um, bring up is Katniss from The Hunger Games. And whether you enjoyed those books or not, whether you think that the author handled the plot well or not, because I've heard many, many authors particularly debate this um, ad nauseum. But Katniss is a great character. So she has the wound. Her father died in a mine explosion when she was 12. This has left her um, bitter, tough, surly, all of those things that she is at the start of the novel. Her scar is that she finds it hard to let people in because her mother neglected her and her sister. Um, her sister she will let in because that's a save the cat moment that comes later uh, her her desire or her want is to win the hunger games because she is forced to volunteer to take her sister's place her sister makes her promise to try really hard so she feels like she has to her need is to in some respects learn to let people in so the whole subplot of that novel is her love story with peter and her trying to decide whether it's real or not. And she can't do that because she has trouble um, reading people's emotions because of the neglect that she suffered from her mother. And then her uniqueness, although there are other characters who use bows and arrows in the story, she is um, the one person who can use a bow and arrow to devastating effect. And not some fancy souped up bow and arrow either, just a bog standard um, bow and arrow and the thing that Suzanne Collins or her editor whichever one it was did really cleverly was tie her uniqueness to her um, her wound so her dad is the person who taught her to shoot pretty much every time she uses a bow and arrow she thinks of her wound which causes all sorts of um, plot complications so I, that's a really great example for me of a character who's really well designed and it's so beautifully layered as well. Like you're not analyzing all of that when you're reading it, but then you kind of look back or reread it. And that's when you notice the depth that her yeah. character has. And I do think some of the characters don't come across quite as well in the film as they do in the books. I love the no. films, yeah. but like certain things like what happens with Peter, for example, I, I don't like film Peter. I'm just going to put that out. <laughs> anyway. We have a really interesting question here from Jeff, who I mentioned earlier, and he wants to know what the best way to plot is so that you can draft more quickly slash efficiently. Yes, that is a brilliant question. So the best tip I can give is not to overthink your plot. And I don't say this because you don't need to come up with gripping plot twists and all those things, because you do have to do that. I say it because it doesn't matter how much you plot there will always come a point where you deviate from your outline at some point during the novel. Now, this can be different for everyone. I think it's as you get to know your characters better, the thing that you originally planned for them to do doesn't necessarily then fit with the person that they become as the story moves on. So for me, I always get to the midpoint of the novel and something about that always forces me outside of my outline, which inevitably means that I have to discovery write the next quarter of the book up to the all is lost moment before going back and kind of reverse engineering that section of the book to make the new stuff fit. And that might involve going right back to the start and adding other stuff in. But yeah, so when you write your outline, as when you write your book, don't aim for perfection because it will never be perfect. All you're really doing when you outline is telling yourself a really condensed, rough version of the story so that you can get started. So the, I think the main tips I can give to outline effectively 
uh, know that you're not going to be wedded to that outline and that it probably will change. And also, don't be scared to deviate from your outline. Don't think that because you've written something down, it's set in stone. Because the only time it's really set in stone is after you've published. And if you're an indie author, it's not really even set in stone then because you can always go back and rewrite. Do you come across writers very often who are like, this is in my outline, I've got to follow it, even though it doesn't feel very natural and it feels very forced and like they're trying to turn the story into what it was rather than what it wants or needs to be? Yeah, I've definitely worked with some editing clients where that has been an issue in terms of, oh, this is the story I saw in my head. So this is the one I'm telling. And I think I don't know if it's a mindset thing, but I think people get a block of, oh, but if I deviate from the outline, what if the new stuff is not as good as the stuff I put in the outline? And that's usually not the case because you know more about your story by the time you're halfway through your draft. So, you know, we've all heard that old thing about the first idea isn't necessarily the best idea. And I think that's what happens when you you draft from an outline. You'll get to a certain point and you'll think, oh, but that could be so much better. And then a part of you holds back and thinks, oh, but my outline's pretty good already. So what happens if I completely stuff it up? You won't stuff it up because at the end of the day, you can draft that novel as many times as you like before you're happy with it. Um, but yeah, I have come across, certainly come across that thing where people get so stuck into their outline that that's all they can see. And then they, they'll get to a point where, I've done it myself. Like when I first started plotting, I got to that midpoint point it completely threw me off and I didn't write for about, I don't know, three weeks because I was thinking, oh, I'm stuck now because this doesn't fit my outline. So yeah, don't take it too seriously. It's li You're literally just telling yourself a rough version so that you can start rather than this is set in stone. It's like you're jumping off the diving board when you do the plot or the outline and then you start writing and that's when you hit the water and it's whether yeah. you sink or swim. Yeah, completely. That is exactly right. I just came up with that on the fly. I'm quite pleased. <laughs> you should use that. <laughs> I should. I, I'm, I don't really do sports. I'm only into the F1, but hey, let's go with it. Um, you saying that actually reminded me of something. Um, I was talking to Ellie a couple of weeks ago about my new series. I was like, I want to write it, but it, like, I don't want to write all of these meeting new people scenes. I just want to get to it. Because for me, like, for me, the story isn't how people meet. It's how they stay together. That's the yeah. side of the psychology that I'm interested in. And that's why, like, my books sort of fit into romance, sort of don't. And um, I was talking to her about it and when I was talking to her I had this epiphany and it was that I should start halfway through rather yeah. than trying to start from the beginning because then I can skip all those meet cutes because for every single one of my series I have rewritten the meet cutes three or four times that doesn't include editing that's literally just starting from scratch I've yeah. ended up redoing them and I've got like my, my main character goes to Australia. So she knows like two people. So you can imagine how many people she meets at the start. Yeah. And last night <laughs> I've got about 22,000 words on the book so far, not including the first 10 chapters. They're not done yet. And last night I came up with a really good scene to in, to introduce her work colleagues. And just because I had kept myself open and flexible and spent that time getting to know the characters once they were kind of established relationships, I feel like now it's going to be easier to write the introduction with them and actually if I can pull it off I've forgotten half the dialogue 
but it was a really funny scene where her boss is like completely scatterbrained and all over the place. And the guy who becomes her best friend is like the sane one in this madhouse, basically. But it's a room full of writers. You can imagine what it's like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if I had been forcing myself to do something very regimented, then I don't think I would have been able to come up with a scene like that that would have immediately thrown you into who these characters are. Yeah, I agree. And that's, yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. So when I say outline, I don't mean you have to sit down and plan the hook, the inciting incident in order. You don't have to do that. So if there's a particular part of the story that you know is inspiring for you, so for you that, like you said, you're more inspired by what keeps people together than how they actually meet. And then you can write a decent meet cute based on what you learn once they're together. That makes complete sense. So you don't, yeah, you don't have to outline in order. You can pick any scene you like and start there. And it is about finding a process that works for you. Ultimately, that's how you're going to make plotting, writing, editing the fastest you can. You have to do, you have to do what works for you. I think it's a real process of trial and error. And that can be a little bit intimidating. I think mm. if you're open mm. to the open to the openness, that doesn't make sense. Yes. Yes, it you does. know what I mean, though, don't <laughs> Weirdly, you? Weirdly, it does. Yeah. You've got to be open to just like running yeah. with the madness, like my characters. Yeah. Like yeah, being a dog chasing its tail or being a dog running through a field or running, maybe not running down a main road without a lead on. That's not safe. No, that's but you, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> you've just got to be as flexible as possible and not like you don't even have to trust yourself per se. You just have to be like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I've, you mentioned Sasha Black earlier. I've heard mm -hmm. her refer to her drafting process before um, as like a chaos draft. So it doesn't have to be, you know, she owns that. She is fully happy to admit that her drafts are chaos because that's what works for her. And she's discovered that now. She's not trying to, you know, force herself to follow a particular process step by step. And that is one of the most important things you can do. It once you realize that there is no perfect process is what I'm trying to say, it really frees you up to be creative. So if you're worried about, oh, I can't plot because it's not creative. Well, you found a way to plot your romances more creatively in a way that works for you. Sasha's found a way to draft in a way that works for her that keeps her interested. So it doesn't have to be that you take every single element of somebody's process and run with it and you can never kind of um, deviate or step off that plate you can adapt and change things until they suit you and I think you raised a valid point about the trial and error thing can be very nerve-wracking because I think you get to a certain point when you're writing just before you actually know what you're doing um, which is never so I don't know yeah <laughs> never know what we're doing I'm glad but it's not just me <laughs> <laughs> nope uh, before you get to a certain point at least where you've internalized some of this stuff you start questioning, oh, why aren't these processes working for me? They work for X, Y, Z person. They probably don't. What's happened to X, Y, Z person is that they've taken the basics of that plotting structure or, I don't know, the drafting process or the Pomodoro method or whatever we're talking about to help us write faster. And they've adapted it to suit them. Um, they say that that's the process that works for them. So I said for years, save the cat really works for me. but And it does, but with some adjustments which is the kind of byproduct of this book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but I found that every genre I write, the process is different. My nonfiction books, I always planned in a lot of depth, 
but then I would like move sections around based on what flowed better. With the, what happens in books, I didn't really plot them that much. I had like a bullet pointed list of scenes and I would usually start with the kind of moments of highest tension and write those and then weave everything else around it like a jigsaw. And it wasn't until I started writing fantasy and was really pushed on the world building by Ellie and Alexa Whitewolf that I was like, shit, I need to be more organized here. Just a shout out for Alexa. She's actually my fiction editor and she's fantastic. She is. She's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. I forgot she was no. your editor. I completely forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Small she world. Is. I know. She, know, she knows her fantasy stuff better than a lot of people. She's she so good on fantasy. Don't forget yeah, to check out our episode with her on world building because no, don't. you might she's hate fantastic. her at the end. but <laughs> <laughs> like she, she asked me some really hard questions because um, cover your ears if you don't want spoilers for Afterlife Calls. But at the end of book one, there is a demon and the demon hasn't yet come back because this is going to be like a 15 book series. Yeah. And she was like, well, how does this work for the demon and how does that work? And I'm like, I don't need to know that yet. It's ages away. She's like, no, you need to know it now. And I'm like sitting there seething, like, I know you're right, but I'm still annoyed at you. Yeah, she is. She does challenge you very she does, much. So. But I like that. That's what we need. Yeah, right? same. That's what we need. We do need. I will include a link to Alexa's episode in the notes because it is definitely worth checking out. And she was also in our first episode of season six, which was, um, I've forgotten the title of it. Lessons authors wish they'd known before they published their first book. And there are some really juicy ones there. And she's probably going to say something you don't expect, actually. Hers was one of the most unexpected, I think. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. You mentioned that you do an element of discovery writing when in between your midpoint and kind of towards Mm -hmm. the end. So can, can you just talk a bit more about that and how you got to find out that's what you need? And also, um, if there's a place for you know, discovering the entire thing and having no idea what you're doing until there are words on the page. Yeah, there's a place for discovery writing. In fact, if I'm being frank, the whole plotting versus discovery writing thing is complete bullshit. Um, I don't, I don't buy it. You know, we're all, a plotter will sit down and they will outline and people will say, oh, you're a plotter. But then like I've just said, you'll get to a point and you have to discovery write. A discovery writer sits down and this is perfectly valid. I have no issue with discovery writing as a process, regardless of the fact that I've just written a plotting book. If that's what works for you and plotting genuinely doesn't work and you've tried it and it brings you out in hives or whatever, I'm not asking you to sit and um, force yourself to be a plotter that's ridiculous but what will happen when you discovery write is that you'll get to the end and then you kind of go back and outline based on that really long draft that you've written so you'll be putting in those key story beats into your draft you'll be shoring up your setting you'll be um making sure your character arcs flow properly so you're just doing it in reverse and i mean i'll make an argument that it it probably doesn't make the speed at which you write probably isn't affected by whether you're a discovery writer or a plotter. And I say that because when plotters talk about how fast they write, they often leave out the time they spend plotting. So they'll just be like, oh, I wrote this book in, I don't know, a week. Yes, you did, but you you spent three weeks before that plotting. And a discovery writer might spend four weeks writing and then a week plotting. So it's, it's a false dichotomy. I think it's really divisive. It makes... It makes tensions in the writing community really hard for those plotters who are ardent plotters that discovery writing is shit. And that's that's just not the case. There is a place for all of it because we all do a bit of both anyway. 
we're just doing things in a different order. You mentioned then about um, doing the plotting up front and how that takes time and the editing up front at the end takes time. Yeah. And what I've certainly noticed, because I've I've done it both ends, I've done the crazy, ridiculous levels of editing after finishing the messy draft and I've done something much more organized because I had the neater outline. And I have come to the conclusion I prefer to be stricter with my outline yeah because I just find it more fun and creative yeah. because I almost see plotting as a separate entity to writing the story itself and it's a different way to be creative it's almost like creative problem solving or how can I be a dickhead to as many fictional people as possible it's like playing the sims but without the AI Exactly. That is a perfect, perfect way to describe it. And I, I am a writer who hates writing. I actually hate the first draft. I love everything else. I love having written. I love the editing. I love outlining. So whatever I can do to get me through that first draft as quickly as possible, I'm going to do it. And for me, that happens to be plotting. Um, that might not be the same for everyone. But yeah, it's like you said, it's like playing The Sims without the AI. It's you get to engineer a story where you're being being horrible to your protagonist you know where the story's going to go and then for me I can just sit down get through the draft the editing's a lot quicker I can produce more books that way so that's why plotting works for me and I think once you find your own unique or semi-unique plotting process it'll probably work for you too um, and the thing I'd say to discovery writers who haven't tried plotting is that you won't lose anything by by giving it a try and you can always revert to discovery writing if it really doesn't work for you because I know some writers um, that it really really doesn't work for and they have tried multiple times to to outline but it just really does stifle their creativity so have a go and it you know can't get any worse can it well exactly <laughs> I, I think for me like it was because I wrote a draft of Hollywood Heartbreak and then needed to go through my first two books because I hadn't outlined them in enough depth or written down any key moments to be able to kind of check where the overlaps were yeah and that was the scary intimidating thing for my brain and I know it sounds relatively small but it felt gargantuan it felt like scaling Mount Everest my brain was so averse to it and I cannot tell you how much stress it caused me and actually I ended up kind of enjoying reading them yeah yeah, it that was, doesn't surprise me. It was cathartic and escapist, and I could read them objectively for the most part because it, you know, the first book was published in 2016, and it made it then a lot easier to read the last two for the final um, Hollywood Gossip series, which I'm, let's call it a side project at the moment. Um, How many of those do you have? We've all got tons of side projects, man. It depends. My main <laughs> focus is the new series at the moment and then I need to out I have like bullet points for the second book in that and that needs to be outlined um I've got two afterlife cause books in progress because I got annoyed writing on the cruise ship and wanted to introduce some new characters so I went on to book seven I need to outline book eight in afterlife calls because I've only got half an outline for that and then I've got Hollywood romance which is the last one um I did try being project agnostic for like July, August, after I finished The Witch's Sacrifice. And I came to the conclusion that's not for me. Yeah, so I'm it's just, not for me either. <laughs> no, I, I can't do it because like <laughs> it's more energy to decide which to work on. And yeah. that just is more stress. So if I'm like, okay, I'm writing this at the moment, 
and I'm just going to write this. And I'm not even doing my thousand words a day at the moment like I normally do. What I'm doing instead is I'm writing like 4,000 words one day and nothing for two days, sometimes yeah. three. But I'm still getting the words out and enjoying spending time with the characters and in Australia and it makes me want to go back. And that's really what counts, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think as long... That's another thing as well, another myth while we're talking about kind of plotting versus panting, that writing has to be um, needlessly difficult. Like we have to suffer for our art. And that is another piece of crap writing advice that I really, I don't like. You should be enjoying it. And if yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're writing 1,000 words a day, 500 words a day, whether you're plotting, whether you're discovery writing, the main thing is that you you enjoy what you're doing. Because, you know, if I, I choose to do this, if I really wanted to be miserable, I'd just stay in my day job, you know. Um, this is a choice. Nobody is forcing you to write anything. So just write in a way that you actually enjoy. And that's I think that gets lost in a lot of these discussions about um, process. Like, are you forcing yourself to follow a process that is making you miserable? In which case, it's not for you. It takes a long, regardless of whether you write really fast or not, it takes a long time and a lot of decision making decision fatigue to actually write a book it's hard enough already without then hating the process or hating what you're doing so yeah just find a way that makes it enjoyable I'm curious to know you mentioned you don't like the writing part of the process so no, like <laughs> how do you get through that because that's probably one of the biggest parts right yeah so coffee first <laughs> need lots and lots of coffee to get through that I think so I'm going to talk about Clifton strengths. I don't know if anyone on your show has before, but I yeah, remember one... um, Sasha mentioned them before. Oh. And I think Becca Syme did as well, I think. Oh, awesome. Cool. So I'm number one futuristic, which basically means I can see the end of a project in project terms before I've actually done anything to do with it. So I love the bit at the end. Um, I think what gets me through the draft, aside from coffee, is um, the plotting Self, because I know where the story is going before I start. The scariest thing for me and the thing that makes drafting really hard is sitting down and not knowing what I'm doing, probably because of that number one futuristic strength. So that's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, so if I have a plan and I know where the story is going, I can get through it a lot faster. And if I know key things about my characters and I already kind of relate to them because I've done that, that upfront work, I don't so much mind spending time with them. What I hate is when I haven't done any planning and I don't really know anything about the story and I'm just sat there staring at that blinking cursor for, you know, hours, which doesn't really help anyone. If you can build up some, if you, like me, hate the writing process, the actual writing part, if you can do something that helps you build momentum and get through it as quickly as possible, that's what will get you through. Or just keep reminding yourself that the book will get written eventually and then you can get to that, you know, juicy editing part if you happen to like editing, which I know some people. No, no. Well, well, I enjoy it more than I used to, but I think I prefer editing things that aren't fantasy to editing fantasy. <laughs> it's hard. Editing fantasy is really hard. I've actually written myself into a corner with um, the fifth book in my Myth and Magic series. So I've got to a point now where I've laid a breadcrumb at the end of book four that I'm going to have to pay off in book five. And it's going to involve multiple timelines and flashbacks and flash forwards and reincarnation and all this stuff that I really don't want to tackle because <laughs> it's going to be difficult it's going to be yeah. tough there'll be a lot to juggle so yeah fantasy is particularly hard especially if you've 
started a magic system or something and now you're you're bound to stick to those rules which is kind of what i've done and i don't know how to get myself out of it so that's going to take a lot of um a lot of plotting so that's where plotting comes in handy too if you're that's a good point if your story is simple so it's a single pov story a very linear plot then you probably won't need to plot in as much detail anyway if it is a multi-timeline story with multi-pov and you know i don't know game of thrones style epic fantasy for example you're going to need to do i would imagine some plotting to keep track of all those those characters and their arcs and things like that that's the real issue I face actually not with fantasy initially, but with Hollywood gossip, just because there are two main characters in Hollywood gossip, but then you've got the antagonist. You've got the four characters from what happens in who have the overlap with Hollywood gossip. And it's remembering who is where and when. And it was the timelines that really messed me up and stressed me out because I'd written down a timeline of things like when people met and what their birthdays were, but I hadn't continued that into what happens in the actual what happens in books so that was where I had to go back and reread and I think if I had continued my chart which in hindsight I should have used a better software for that was part of the problem (laughs) I would have found it much easier to do the draft of that book um hindsight is a brilliant thing isn't it it's fantastic timelines are not (laughs) (laughs) no timelines are the worst thing worst thing they are i i remember when i was working on the mummy's curse um there was a bit i i wasn't quite sure on but then i got notes back and it was like yeah you need to flesh this out a bit Mm -hmm. and it was a subplot where one of the characters being haunted by a poltergeist and it was really hard for me because i'm not very good at subtlety i don't know if you've ever noticed (laughs) poltergeist (laughs) poltergeist start off very very subtle regardless of whether or not you believe in ghosts or not there is a structure to it that ghost films and books and things also follow and it's because the tension gradually escalates and i hadn't done that um and so i actually i was like what am i meant to do and i ended up actually treating that subplot like an entirely different story Mm. so i plotted it out and then i wrote the ten thousand words separately like in a separate section of scrivener and then kind of pasted them into the book where I thought I fitted and had to read through it and make sure it flowed. And it was actually right towards the end of the process when I was reading it backwards to proofread, I actually realized that I had injured my main character and it, in the rewrite and not included it in the further scenes that weren't part of that rewrite. And had I not read it backwards, I wouldn't have noticed that. So I think that definitely taught me a lesson as well. Clearly not enough of one because my Aussie book still doesn't have that for the subplots. <laughs> but that's an easier fix because it's romance. Exactly. It's single point of view. <laughs> yeah, much easier fix. Much First time I've done fix. single point of view. First time I've done single point of view in 20 books. Wow, that's incredible. At least you started with the hard stuff. I started the easy way and now I'm adding more stuff in and I'm like, oh, I should have I've made yeah. this too hard now. <laughs> I started with third person um close with two characters and then moved into four um and then went into first person because actually i'm more comfortable writing in first person Mm. but no matter how hard i try no book has ever wanted to come out in single point of view until this one and it does not make sense to have the love interest point of view in this book and none of my answers have ever been like that before so it's really interesting experiment actually for me 
Yeah, and that's the case in point that every single book is different. So yeah. if you are outlining, the amount of plotting you're going to have to do might differ. And if you're writing a series and you've written, you know, seven books from a single protagonist perspective, for example, you're probably not going to need to plot as much because you know those protagonists really well already. Um, so it's it's all a sliding scale. You don't that that's why I don't really believe in the plotting versus pantsing thing because every project is different, every series is different, and I think the more you write, I think if you're writing your first book and you are sat there worried about, oh, is my plot good enough? Is this good enough? Is that good enough? It is only your first book and you are going to get better as you write more books. So don't let a fear of following a process or not following a process stop you from moving on to the next thing. Because I'm sure Christina will agree, but the more books you write, the more you're guaranteed to know your process. I don't think you'll ever learn your process if you're trying to tinker with one book to be honest oh hell yeah yeah I always remember something Daniel Wilcox said that has just stuck in my head and he said that all the learnings come from finishing the book not like you have to be able to reflect back on the process and you can't do that when you are in the process I agree and I hate it that Dan's always right as well (laughs) he does know his stuff though (laughs) and he knows psychology as well that helps he does he is yeah, he is very wise. We've asked you before uh, a question about what book changed your life. So I've got mm. potentially a harder question for you. I'm not mm. sure. But I, m- I can't. I might know what you say, but maybe you'll surprise me. Maybe. What's one plotting technique that changed your life? Oh, OK. So the one plotting technique that changed my life in terms of the plot itself, we've spoken a lot about character and stuff already, so... I don't want to rehash that. But the one thing that has changed my plotting life in terms of the plot itself is the hook or what I call the invisible question. And it took me longer than it probably should have to get my head around what a good hook actually is. So I define the hook, which is the first line you open your book with to get the reader to read on, as a question that you pose in the reader's mind using a statement. So it won't you won't necessarily ask a question as the first line of your book but you will um, pose a question in a way that doesn't make it sound like a question. So an example of this is from James Frey's young adult novel, The Calling, where he opens with um, Endgame has begun. Now, that's not a lot of detail, not a lot of words, but you instantly want to know, or the reader would want to know what Endgame is. If the central conflict is happening, it's obviously happening inside the conflicts of Endgame. So we get a little information about the plot as well so they're the types of really short snappy statements that you can start a novel with that will allow you to hook your reader in and if you can reveal something about character plot and setting at the same time so much the better so another great example is uh, the opening to the da vinci code by dan brown and again people will debate that book ad nauseum as to whether it's a good book i personally think it's pretty good uh so dan brown opens that novel with a museum curator staggering through an archway and you immediately want to know why is he staggering? Is he drunk? Is he wounded? Is he? Is there some other reason? And it's those little things that you can open a novel with that keep the reader reading. Because if they don't get past that first sentence, they're never going to read your book anyway. It doesn't really matter. So I think when I'm plotting in terms of plot, that is the most important thing that I focus on to actually get the reader hooked in. And that's probably the most valuable lesson I've learned, not just to open your novel with you know, a barrage of description that has nothing to do with the plot of your novel. Or too much backstory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't open 
any backstory ideally like just don't open with backstory leave it and if you are doing backstory drip feed it in don't do massive you know as you know bob this thing's happening <laughs> nobody wants to hear that <laughs> yeah um i remember you talked to ellie about that in your episode on writing beginnings and i was like it ever since then i've definitely been analyzing the hooks of books i read much more <laughs> not yeah. intentionally it's just been happening yeah once you know you can't stop it's, yeah. You know, once you know something, you can't stop doing it, can you? Yeah, I remember when I did media studies at sixth form. I had a friend who was a year older than me who did it, and she said, "You'll never watch a film the same way again." Nope. Been fifteen years, and I have never watched a film the same way again. Actually, it's been longer than that. But anyway. Yeah, it ruins it. So if you are a reader thinking about becoming a writer and you don't want to ruin reading, maybe don't become a writer. Because yeah. um, it does ruin it. <laughs> yeah. And and also when I started really studying plotting technique in heavy, heavy detail, because I didn't get taught that much about it when I was at uni. We did get some stuff like the three act structure and things. I may not have paid a huge amount of attention at the time. But since I've really started to study it more, like everything now is just really predictable. Oh, yeah. Even and games. nobody wants to nobody wants to watch movies with you because you're the person that sits there going, Oh. I know who the killer is. Yeah. I know who, you know. So another thing, it will destroy your social life as well. Yeah. Ellie is the only one who will watch <laughs> stuff with me now because she doesn't mind that I do it because it's learning curve for her. <laughs> yeah. You can watch stuff with other writers. We're yeah. all happy to, you know, yeah. if you find your writing community, go for it. Yeah. My boyfriend's uh, just like, stop. I know what you're going to say. Don't, just don't, don't speak. Just don't ruin this for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we were playing a game and we don't very often play games together that are like in co-op. And I could tell how far into the game we were based on what was happening to these yep. two characters. And yep. um, he would be like reading the non-spoiler threads about like roughly how much time was left in the game. And he was like, oh, we're in this zone, so we're about halfway through. I'm like, I know. I know, yeah. And he's like, how? I'm like, because the direction the story's going in. Because they thought they were at the end. They were th thought they were reaching a success moment and then everything went wrong. Yeah. That, that it was never going to be that easy for them to achieve success and yeah. he just kind of looked at me and shook his head <laughs> exactly that so yeah nobody other than other writers wants to do anything with you once you know how stories work basically yeah. but at the same time it does still fascinate me and occasionally yeah. they do yeah. surprise me most of the time they don't yeah but that's even better if you find one that surprises you then the payoff for you is fantastic that's true like, that's, that's the best true. feeling yeah it is so if our listeners want to find out more about you and your books and your podcast, where can they go? So if you want to find out more about me, you can pop over to my website. That's uh, swmiller.com. I am on Instagram and TikTok at swmillerauthor. And if you want to come check out mine and Cassie's podcast, you can head over to storytellersfaceoff.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and talking all about plot. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them, we don't mind. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too. If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at Writer's Mindset Pod. Or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset. And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits. See you next time. Keep writing! Mm -hmm.